Hello and thanks for tuning in to the Mark Inesito podcast. My name is Mark Inesito and today we're going to do a part three of a history of music in 1965. Um, a few weeks ago I tended to do part three but realized that there was, I was going over a half an hour. And if that happens, that happens, but I was actually almost at an hour and I was even in November yet. So I figured I'm going to do a part four. So part three consists of July through September. And then part four is going to be October through uh, December. Excuse me. So let's start. Without further ado, let's start July 1965. So before I start, let's go through the uh, sources I'm going to be using in this episode. Um, pretty much the same as last time. Uh, the Beatles Bible, which is www.beatlesbible.com. Gaslightrecords.com. Hippie by Barry Miles, a book published in 2003. The book 1965, The Most Revolutionary Year in Music by Andrew Grant Jackson, published in 2015. Netflix documentary Echoes in the Canyon. From 2018, uh, the book Psychedelia 101 Iconic Underground Rock Albums by Richard Martin Jack, published in 2017. Um, the Beatles Anthology book, published in 2000, and LAMag.com. So I won't be using all those sources overall, but that's overall the sources I'm using in this whole entire like 1965 episode. So I just wanted to mention them. To protect myself that way, you know, we know I used them or we'll be, we'll be using them again probably in this one or in the next one, the next episode of 1965. So, gotta cover myself for that one. So, this is gonna be the first episode I'm, I'm gonna be using the book, The Beatles Anthology, which is nothing but quotes from the Beatles themselves, pretty much interviews they held throughout the years, various quotes. Um, that's pretty much all it is, in their own words. So that's gonna be pretty cool. And I'll make sure I quote who you know which Beatles is saying it, like either John, Paul, or George, or Ringo, whoever it is. Excuse me. So let's get started. July of nineteen sixty-five. In July, Union City, Indiana's the uh, McCoys released a forty-five. Hang on, Sloopy. The band's lead singer was Rick Derringer, who was a popular solo artist in the 1970s. In July, Los Angeles band The Turtles released their four, their first 45, a cover of Bob Dylan's It Ain't Me Babe. July, country singer Johnny Wright releases the pro-war 45, Hello Vietnam. On October 23rd, the song tops the country charts for three weeks. American singer-producer Kim Foley releases a 45, The Trip. It became the first LSD-inspired record. The song was released in the UK in June of 1966. July 4th, Echo, which is the East Coast homophile organization's protest at Philadelphia's Independence Hall. The protest becomes a yearly event for the rest of the 60s as an annual reminder for gay rights. July 5th, the Beatles' ninth album is released, 
Summer Days and Summer Nights. The album features the hits Help Me Rhonda and California Girls. July 9th, Sonny and Cher release I Got You Babe, in which Cher defends, uh, excuse me, Cher defends Sonny's long hair. The song tops the charts on August 14th. July 13th, the Beach Boys released the 45 Kai from the Girls that featured a Brian Wilson intro that was inspired by Johann Sebastian Bach. The record reached number 3 on August 28th. July 16th, British band The Animals released We Gotta Get Out of This Place. The song gained popularity for United States Armed Forces GIs during the Vietnam War. The song peaked number 13 on the U.S. Billboard charts on September 25th. July 20th, New York's 11th Spoonful released their debut 45, the folk-inspired anthem, Do You Believe in Magic? There was a rumor that the song had been about marijuana. July 20th, Bob Dylan releases his most popular song, Like a Rolling Stone. The song peaked at number, tw uh, number two in September. The song clocks in at 6 minutes and 13 seconds and becomes the longest record to hit the pop charts. The song was the most expressionistic and jaded lyrics on AM radio to date. The influence upon the song's composition was somewhat based on Dylan's last acoustic tour of Britain and the public's expectations of him. He was unhappy in the direction he was going and almost decided to quit altogether. After the release of Michael Rowling's Stone, Dylan had been replenished to keep going. The song was number one on Rolling Stone magazine's list of the top 500 songs of all time. July 23rd, the Beatles released the 45 Help. The song was a confession by John Lennon as he was getting overwhelmed with the whole uh, Beatlemania craze. July 23rd, Paul Simon performs I Am A Rock as a solo performance on the British television program Ready Steady Go in London. July 25th, Bob Dylan performs at the Newport Folk Festival for a third straight year. He played two sets. The day set was an all-acoustic set. The second set was played at night, and this time with a whole new twist. The second set was an all-electric set, accompanied by a backup band which featured Mike Bloomfield on lead guitar and Al Cooper on organ. The result was shocking to the audience as they booed him. July 26th, jazz saxophonist John Coltrane performs A Love Supreme live for the only time at Festival Mondial de Jazz and Tip. I think I pronounce that word. Babe is performed in France. Uh, July 28th, President Johnson doubles the number of men per month for the draft to Vietnam, which boosted the figure from 17,000 to 35,000. July 30th, the Kinks released See My Friends. The record was an impression of music and vocals the band heard while in India. July 30th, the Rolling Stones released their fourth American album titled Out of Our Heads. Some of the album's key tracks included Mercy Mercy, The Last Time, I Can't Get No Satisfaction, and Play With Fire. The album also includes the song I'm Alright, a live recording that originally appeared on the British EP Got Live If You Wanted.
August, folk singer Barry McGuire releases the 45 Eve of Destruction, a song written by singer-songwriter P.F. Sloan. The topics of the song had issues concerning with the assassination of President Kennedy, the Vietnam War, the draft, the threat of nuclear war, the civil rights movement, turmoil in the Middle East, and the space program. The song also attacks Southern racism as well. The spotlight of the song is the injustice of being too young to vote, but old enough to be drafted. The American media helped the popularization of the song by using it as an example of what was wrong with the youth at the time. Because of the song's controversial lyrics, some American radio stations claiming it was an aid to the enemy in Vietnam banned the song. This also created this this also excuse, excuse me this also caused some disapproval from conservatives. The song was banned in parts of Britain. The song was recorded in one take. August Paul Simon releases his first solo album titled The Paul Simon Songbook. Ten of the twelve songs were Paul Simon compositions, most of which being future Simon and Garfunkel songs. The album featured a solo rendition of The Sound of Silence. The album was recorded in London, in which the, at the time Paul Simon was living in London. In August, New York's The Fugs recorded their debut album titled The Village Fugs Sing Ballads of Contemporary Protests, Points of Views, and General Dissatisfaction. The album featured the song I Couldn't Get High, which mentions LSD. This was the first occurrence to mention LSD in a rock lyric. On that note, the album was titled but shortened simply to The Fugs' first album. August 5th, the CBS Evening News broadcast of Walter Cronkite airs footage of American soldiers burning the huts of Vietnamese villagers. President Johnson became outraged and complains to the network's president. August 6th, President Johnson signs the Voting Rights Act into law in the Capitol Rotunda with Martin Luther King Jr. attending the signing. On August 6th, the Beatles released their fifth album in Britain called Help. Um, Help is also a movie which had more of a plot than A Hard Day's Night. Um, basically, it was about Ringo having a ring that had some religious beliefs to it, some Middle Eastern beliefs to it. And if they catch him with it on, they gotta paint him red and try to assassinate him. And, uh, in order to be sacrificed to their beliefs. Excuse me, excuse me. He was assassinated. No, not, not try to assassinate them, but try to get them to follow their, their religious beliefs. And it's a pretty good movie. You know, I mean, the music from the movie is pretty, you know, pretty good. Really good, actually. Um, the album features songs like um, the Bob Dylan inspired You Gotta Hide Your Love, You're, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away, which featured flutes at the end. It's kind of different for a Beatles record. Hearing flutes. Um, and the album recording was kind of the same scenario as the first, uh, as the Hard Day's Night. They recorded the songs from the movie, which were seven songs, filmed the movie, and recorded seven more songs to fill the album up as a, as a full, complete album. Um, one of the songs that weren't 
that was not featured in the movie. It was a song that Paul McCartney had wrote called Yesterday. And it was one of the first rock and roll records to feature a string quartet. And it was uh, conducted by George Martin. But, um, but yeah. And the story behind the song was really interesting. Um, how Paul McCartney wrote it, how he came up with it. Supposedly he dreamt it. He dreamt about the song and, and, and wrote it. And um, I'm going to go through the, the Beatles Anthology book and kind of go through like what each member's opinions about the song, like when, they, when Paul wrote it, how he wrote it, how the inspiration came about and all that. So now I'm going to go through the, the Beatles Anthology book and I'm going to, in the Beatles' own words, talk about yesterday. Uh, John Lennon here quotes first. Uh, we know all about yesterday. I have had so much accolade for yesterday. That's Paul's song and Paul's baby. Well done, beautiful. I never wish I'd written it. And Paul McCartney here quotes. I was living in a little flat at the top of a house and I had a piano by my bed. I woke up one morning with this tune in my head and I thought, hey, I don't know this tune or do I? It was like a jazz melody. My dad used to know a lot of old jazz tunes. I thought maybe I dismembered it from the past. I went to the piano and found the notes, the chords, excuse me, to it. A G, F minor, 7, and a B. Made sure I remembered it and then hawked it around to all my friends asking what it was. Do you know this? It's a good little tune, but I couldn't have written it because I drummed it. I took it around to Alma Colgan, a friend of ours, and I, I think maybe she thought I had written it for her. And she said, I don't know it, but it is rather nice. It didn't have any words at first, so I blocked it in, out with scrambled eggs. Scrambled eggs, oh my baby, how I love your legs. I believe it in scrambled eggs. Over the next couple of weeks, I started to put in the words. I like the tune, and I thought, I like to take some time over the words, get something that fitted like scrambled eggs. And then one day I had the idea of yesterday. John Lennon here quotes, This song was around for months and months before we finally completed it. Every time we got together to write songs for a recording session, this would come up. We almost had it, had it finished. Paul wrote nearly all of it. We just couldn't find the right title we called it scrambled egg and it became a joke between us we had made up our minds that only a one word title would suit we just couldn't find the right one then one morning paul woke up and the song and the title were both there completed i was sorry in a way we had so many laughs about it and it had and it has been issued as, in america as an orchestral piece by george martin called Scrambled Egg. Now we are getting letters from fans telling us they've heard a number called Scrambled Egg. That's a dead copy of yesterday. Paul McCartney again quotes, I remember thinking that people like sad tunes. They like to wallow a bit when they're alone to put a record on and go, ah. So I put the first verse together then all the words fitted and that was it. It was, it was my most successful song. 
It's amazing that it just came to me in a dream. That's why I don't profess to know anything. I think music is all very mystical. You hear people saying, I'm a vehicle. It just passes through me. Well, you're dead. Lucky if someone like that passes through you. I brought the song into the studio for the first time and played it on the guitar. But soon Ringo said, I can't really put any drums on it. It wouldn't make sense. And John and George said, there's no point in having another guitar. So George Martin suggested, why don't you just try it by yourself and see how it works? I looked at all the others. Oops, you mean a solo record? And they said, yeah, it doesn't matter. There's nothing we can add to it. Do it. Beatles producer George Martin here adds a quote. Paul went down the to number two studio at EMI, sat on a high stool with his acoustic guitar, and sang yesterday. That was a master to begin with. And I said, well, what about, well, what can we do with it? The only thing I could think of was adding strings. But I know what you think about it. And, and Paul said, I don't want Matovani. I said, what about a very smaller number of string players? A quartet. He thought that was interesting, and I went down and worked on it with him and made suggestions for the score. He had ideas, too, and we booked a string quartet and overdubbed strings, and that was the record. Paul again here quotes, uh, Writing a song out with George Martin was nearly always the same process. For yesterday, he had said, Look, why don't you come around to my house tomorrow? I've got a piano and I've got the manuscript paper. We'll sit down for an hour or so and you can let me know what you're looking for. We sit down and it would be quite straightforward because I'd have a good idea of how I wanted to voice it. Or George would show me possibilities very wide apart or very gungy and very close. And we'd choose. He would say, this is the way to do the harmony Technically, and I'd often try to go against that. I think, well, why should we? Why should there be a proper way to do it? Yesterday was typical. I remember suggesting the seventh that appears on a cello. George said, "You're definitely, you definitely want to have that in there. That would be very unstringed quartet." I said, "Well, whack it in, George. I've got to have it." That was the way the process worked. He showed me how to write the song correctly, and I tried to sabotage the correct method and move towards the way I like music. Make it original. I still think that's a good way to work. Once when George Martin was figuring out what a particular note was in A Hard Day's Night, not for one of our arrangements, this was later when he was writing out our songs to record them himself, orchestrally. I remember him saying, to John, it's been a hard day's night and I've been working like a dog. Working. Is that a seventh or another note? Or is it somewhere in between? John would say, it's between those two and I, and George would have put down a blue note or something. It was great fun. I'm so fascinated by that. I don't have any desire to learn. I feel like it's a voodoo that it would be it would spoil things if I actually learned how things are done. George Martin again quotes Yesterday was a breakthrough. It was recorded by Just Paul and a group of other musicians. No other Beatle was on that rec recording. 
um, and no other Beatle heard this song until we played it back. John listened to it. And there's a particular bit when when the cello moves into a bluesy note, which he thought was terrific, so it was applauded. But it wasn't really a, a Beatles record, and I discussed this with manager Brian Epstein. You know the no, you, you, you know this is Paul's song. Shall we call it Paul McCartney? He said, no, whatever we do, we're not splitting up the Beatles. So even though none of the others appeared on the record, it was still the Beatles. That was the creed of the day. Of the, 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 the day. Um, the day. Paul again quotes, I want to have put it on a I want to have put it out as, out as a solo Paul McCartney record. We never entertained those ideas. It was something tempting. People would flatter us. Oh, you know, you should get out front or you should put out a solo record. But we always said no. In fact, we didn't release yesterday as a single in England at all because we were a little bit embarrassed about it. We were a rock and roll band. I am proud of it. I get made fun of because of, of it a bit. I remember George saying, Blimey, he's always talking about yesterday. You think he was Beethoven or somebody. But it is, I reckon, the most complete thing I have ever ever written. John Lennon here quotes, I sat in a restaurant in Spain, and, that's, and the violinist insisted on playing yesterday right in my ear. Then he asked me to sign this violin. I didn't know what to say, so I said, okay, and I signed it, and Yoko signed it. One day he's going to find out that Paul wrote, wrote it, but I guess he couldn't have, couldn't have gone from table to table playing I Am the Walrus. August 7th, British band Herman's Hermits tops the charts with their version of I Am Henry the Eighth I Am. The song was originally a 1910 music hall song. After Herman's Hermits released the record, other British bands began to rediscover the music genre. Genre, excuse me, similar to American vaudeville. August 7th, writer Hunter S. Thompson, the Hells Angels, poet Allen Ginsberg, and Neil Cassidy are at an LSD field party at Kim Kesey's house. Neil Cassidy was a major figure of the beat generation in the 1950s and a figure of the psychedelic and counterculture of the 1960s. The character Dean Moriarty. And Jack Kerouac's 1957 novel, On the Road, is modeled after Cassidy. August 11th to 15th, rioting erupts in the Watts neighborhood of, of Los Angeles. August 13th, San Francisco's Jefferson Airplane makes their debut at, a, at the club Matrix in San Francisco. August 15th, Donovan releases the EP. A Universal Soldier. The title track was an anti-war anthem originally written and performed by Canadian folk singer Buffy St. Marie in 1964. Donovan's version, along with Glenn Campbell's version, comp competes head-to-head -head on the charts. In October, Campbell would state draft car burners should be hanged. The EP also features an anti-war song the war drags on. August 15th, Otis Redding releases the record Respect. Otis Redding was the song's composer.
August 15th, the Beatles performed their first concert located at a sports stadium, Shea Stadium in New York, with a record attending audience of 55,600, which will still stand until 1973. August 20th, I Can't Get No Satisfaction is released in Britain on 45. Um, following the release of the 45 in Britain, the Rolling Stones hold a tour in Ireland. And uh, while on tour, the song pretty much topped the charts in England. And this caused a lot of mayhem in Ireland. People wanted to see the Rolling Stones. It was a huge song for them. People just wanted to hear the Stones, you know, and I can't get no satisfaction. Um, it really changed the generation at the time. And uh, there's actually a, a DVD, Blu-ray, that's been released, I think, in 2012 or 2013. A documentary that was filmed of the tour in Ireland, actually. It was uh, called Charlie is My Darling. And it was, like I said, it was a documentary of the tour they were filming. They filmed, they were filmed in Ireland during their tour. And they were doing a performance of Animal Right. And uh, the songs in, people were on the stage rioting, causing fights and stuff. It was pretty bizarre and <laughs> crazy at the time. You know, seeing that. But yeah, it was a Rolling Stones zone. They're bluesy, you know, very bluesy, you know, bad boy image they had compared to the Beatles poppy image, you know. But it was pretty funny to see like a big old riot breaking out on stage. But yeah, it was a tour in Ireland and it was filmed. <laughs> it was interesting. August 21st, country singer Wayne Jennings releases his first record for Nashville titled That's the Chance I Have to Take. August 24th, three of the four Beatles take LSD with the Birds and actor Peter Fonda in Los Angeles. The only Beatle to hold off on LSD was Paul McCartney. August 25th, three members of the Sexual Freedom League are sentenced three months for putting on a stage nude weight in, in San Francisco. August 27th, British band The Hollies released a 45 look through any window. August 27th, the Beatles meet Elvis Presley at his house in Hollywood, California. August 30th, Bob Dylan releases his sixth album, his visionary masterpiece called Highway 61 Revisited. The album was 100% rock and roll, electrified guitars and a drum backbeat. The album's key tracks include Like a Rolling Stone, Ballad of a Thin Man, and Highway 61 Revisited. The album's, close, the album's closer was an 11-minute, 21-second epic, Desolation Row. August 31st, President Johnson makes a decision of, of the burning of draft cards, a punishable crime, and will serve a five-year prison sentence and a $1,000 fine. Um, the International Submarine Band performed as a folk band by 19-year-old Graham Parsons in Boston, Massachusetts. At the time, the 
an Italian Parsons was a student at Harvard University studying theology. It was soon after the formation that they took their folk sound to a more of a country rock sound, which was in the minds of Grand Parsons. September 2 of San Francisco's underground papers, Rag Baby, and the Berkeley Bard run ads promoting a, a performance of psychedelic music at the Intersection Coffee House in San Francisco. The performance featured guitarist Malachi, whose real name is John Morgan Newburn. September uh, 1st, British band The Hollies released their third album called Hollies. The only single release from the album was a B-side to Look Through Any Window called So Lonely. September 2nd, New York from Los Angeles band The Doors recorded an acetate in Los Angeles which featured songs such as Moonlight Drive, End of the Night, and Go Insane. Three of the four members have already taken LSD at this point. September 6th, Merle Haggard releases his first album called Strangers. Uh, Haggard was considered as Bakersfield flip side to Buck Owens crowd pleaser. Merle spent in and out of detention centers for truancy, petty larceny, writing bad checks, and burglary. Oftentimes he would try to escape. He was sent to San Quentin for attempting to rob a Bakersfield roadhouse. After hearing his wife was pregnant from another man, he almost made another escape and decided to stay put after seeing Johnny Cash in concert at San Quentin. As soon as Haggard got out, he began to write his own songs and was the bass guitarist for Buck Owens for a brief period and calling Owens band the Buckaroos. Haggard formed his own band and called them the Strangers. He even wrote a song under the name All My Friends Are Going to Be Strangers. The song had been featured on his debut album. September 7th, Bob Dylan releases the 45 Positively 4th Street. The song was an attack of Dylan's former folk community. The song peaks at number 7 on November 6th. And that happens to be my favorite Bob Dylan song of all time. Uh, September 13th, Simon and Garfunkel releases an electrified version of The Sound of Silence. All it was was the original acoustic version with electric guitars, bass, and drums overdubbed in the recording. Bob Dylan's producer Tom Wilson produced the track and was recorded in the style of the birds. September 15th, R&B singer Otis Redding releases his third album titled Otis Blue, Otis Redding Sings Soul. The album features his versions of Respect, which was his own composition, and a cover of the Rolling Stones' Satisfaction. The album reaches number one on October 30th. September 24th, the Rolling Stones released their third British album, titled Out of Our Heads. The British release fared differently than the American. I Can't Get No Satisfaction was not on the album. However, some of the album's key highlights were Mercy Mercy, Heart of Stone, and I'm Free. September 25th, the Rolling Stones released in the United States 45, Get Off My Cloud, and its B-side, I Am Free. It peaks at number one on November 6th for two weeks. September 30th, 
R&B singer Montella Bass releases her signature hit, Rescue Me. The song tops the charts on October 30th, where it stayed there for four weeks. That's all I have for this episode. So uh, next week, hopefully, I'm going to have part four, October through December, 1965. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. Um, finally got it done. Um, well, this part anyway. Um, anyway, until next time, take care. Um, I appreciate feedback. If you want to give me some feedback, I would, I would greatly appreciate it. What, what can I do? What, what can I make this better? What kind you know, what improvements should I make to make my podcast better and make it more interesting? Thank you and God bless and goodbye.